Happy Pride Month, everybody. June 14th, 2019. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran, the show where we do politics, history, culture, and just about anything else. Poopery, as I call it. We have an incredible show lined up for today. We're going to start out with the Reverend Troy Perry. Uh, If you don't know Troy's story, shame on you. You should, because he is the founder of the Metropolitan Community Churches, the very first LGBT church in the nation started in Los Angeles, California by Reverend Troy, who was a preacher, uh, came out of Northern Florida. Uh, anyway, he's got a fascinating story, and uh, he's uh, coming up on 80 years of age. Troy, I can't believe it. Known Troy for a very long time, and he is truly one of our founders and been such an inspiration to me and to so many over the decades for his advocacy for LGBT people and not letting us get away from uh, having some sense of spirit spirituality and the struggle that we all find ourselves in. So he's going to be fantastic. He is going to be followed by the incredible bisexual Margaret Cho, comedian. I can hardly wait. Jason, get ready with the four-letter word button, because you never know what's going to come out of Margaret's mouth. I'm ready for it. (laughs) He's ready. It's going to be exciting. I can't wait for it. Yeah. Margaret, of course, native San Franciscan, uh, identifies as a member of the bi community, strong LGBT advocate, and uh, just funny as as, as heck and uh, I love her and I was so glad she was able to make time to get in here and do studio with us and uh, love to hear about her life story she's just an incredible woman and then we're going to conclude up uh, Lieutenant Don Mueller from the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department he promised to come back and bring uh, some uh, of the trans deputy or deputies that he has uh, Los Angeles County boast the fact that they have 12 transgendered uh, sheriff deputies now in the force, which is more than any other police agency in the nation. And uh, he's going to bring at least one and maybe two uh, of the transgender deputies. It was just hard to get them uh, out of the station. And of course, sadly, here in Los Angeles County, a few days ago, we had a sheriff deputy who was murdered in Alhambra, California. Mm -hmm. So they are all in mourning and they're having to deal with a lot of internal strife in the department at the moment. But uh, he confirmed yesterday, so he'll be coming by and look forward to talking to Lieutenant Mueller and uh, deputies who identify as transgender about what it's like to be trans in law enforcement. So that is our lineup. It's going to be a great day. And I want to give you a heads up. Next week, I will be broadcasting live from Miami, Florida, uh, at our sister station out there in Miami. Uh, I I serve as the uh, national chairman of NALEO, National Association of Latino Elected Officials. And we are holding our annual conference in Florida. And we've got some of the presidential candidates coming by. It'll be five days, a gathering of over a 1,000 Latino elected officials from all across the USA who come together once a year. And so I'll be bringing some of those uh, delegates over to the station who are either LGBT or allies. Uh, and we'll be broadcasting live from Miami. So, Jason, get the Pitbull music ready. Hey. Yay, I love Pitbull. I love Pitbull. That's my Miami, <laughs> Miami music. Um, looking forward to that show next week. So, um, just a little bit. You know, I, I, the, the amount of lawlessness coming out of the Trump administration is just, it's just a daily thing now. It, it is so bad. And, and I, I go back and forth every day whether Donald Trump is a simpleton or a moron. And I know that that seems to be the same thing. But on the Golden Girls one episode, uh, Sophia was trying to explain the difference between a simpleton and a moron. Why, why do I say this? Well, uh, the, the uh, supposed alleged president of the United States tweeted out yesterday that he met with the Prince of Wales, which is 
is great had he spelled it W-A-L-E-S, but instead he spelled it W-H-A-L-E-S, as in mammal of the ocean whale. And so he met with the prince of, yes, uh, blowhole whales. Uh, and, you know, I read that and I laugh and then I think... Man, what a simpleton. And you know, that's the conclusion I come to. But then he opens his mouth. And then when he opens his mouth, the, the um, level of snide, corrupt, crass, bigotry, ignorance, it just pours out. He just gets elevated to moron. Uh, I think he's more than a simpleton. He's just a moron. And uh, now we've got you know Kellyanne Conway. It appears that uh, she is violating the Hatch Act. Now, the Hatch Act has been around, gee, I don't know, about 100 years. Uh, it's a provision in the federal law which states that federal employees may not engage in partisan activities while they're working for the American people in the White House. And the only exception is the president can be partisan, of course, and the vice president can be partisan, and certain high elected officials within the administration can do some partisan roles. Uh, but any other, you know, White House employee, well, they're being paid by, you know, Democrats, Republicans, independents, declined to states, and everything in between. And so while they work in the White House, they are not allowed to engage in partisan activities. And Kellyanne Conway, pretty much for the last two and a half years uh, during work hours, has been a regular guest on Fox News and being highly partisan, criticizing Democrats and elevating Republicans and violating the Hatch Act repeatedly. And a special counsel to the White House has now called upon uh, Donald Trump to either counsel her to stop that or to fire her because you cannot violate the Hatch Act. This is something that's been around for 100 years. And what does uh, the moron in chief say? Well, no, she's been loyal to him and a good employee, and he's not going to fire her, nor is he going to counsel her because it steps on her First Amendment rights, except Donald the Hatch Act came out of a time when the Democrats controlled the White House and the Democrats controlled all the power during FDR. And they were engaged in highly partisan activities out of the White House to help Democrats. And fortunately, people from both parties realized that was a problem, that when you work for the White House, you work for all of the American people despite party. And they passed the Hatch Act. And now our moronic... Yeah, him. It just he he won't stand up for the rule of law, and he's just going to violate it. And uh, we'll see what happens next. Anyway, enough about him. Uh, more about the founding fathers at the end of the show. But uh, for now, uh, we're getting ready for Reverend Troy Perry. So thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Celebrate and save at Ashley's Anniversary Sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of colors starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep Mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details. <laughs> Jesus loves the little children of the world. That's for you, Reverend Troy. <laughs> oh, I can't help but laugh. My my partner cuts up with me because I do go into these hymns once in a while, and he just screams when I do. I figured I'd have to find an old time religion hymn to bring you yeah. on. <laughs> 
if, being, if being raised in a Pentecostal Southern Baptist household, uh, you remember those old hymns. They come back so easy. And uh, I always tell people that I used to sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Till I went through puberty, then the church said, no, he doesn't. <laughs> That's, you know. If you're just tuning in, we have the Reverend Troy Perry in studio with me on Sidebar today, a founder of the MCC Churches, founder of the Christopher Street West Parade. Uh, I mean, Troy, you've been doing all this for so long. And you were raised in Florida, right? That's correct. Uh, I was born in Tallahassee, Florida. And I'm seventh generation Floridian on my mother's side. Um, We owned, um, they were some of the first Anglos who moved in uh, when the U.S. government was buying Florida. Mm. They offered 168 acres to any Anglo family that would move in uh, to Florida. And so they did, and that property is still in my mother's side of the family. And you became a preacher at like 15 or something? I started preaching when I was 13 years old. 13? Licensed to preach in the Southern Baptist Church at age 15. Wow. At age 18, went to my Pentecost pastor and told him I had these funny feelings and talked to him. After about an hour, he said, oh, I know what you're trying to tell me, and all you need to do is marry a good woman that'll take care of that problem. So I married his daughter. <laughs> well, it wasn't funny or flippant later, I can Oh, my you. God. That, so at 18, you married the, the pastor's daughter. Yes. Yeah, yeah. And then at 19, though, there was something that happened. You, um, Well, I had... Uh, my, uh, we had our first child. Ah, okay. uh, my wife and I were both nineteen mm-hmm. when our first child was born. Oh my born. God, that's so young! And uh, <laughs> then later, child number two. Uh, but uh, at age 19, uh, I really, as I moved, we moved from uh, the east back to. Ca- not back, but to California. Mm. And when I arrived here, uh, I walked into a bookstore in Santa Ana, California. And first time in my life, uh, I saw physique magazines. Mm. And I always cut up today and say this is when they were the good old days when they store, still wore bathing suits. <laughs> <laughs> but when is I did 59, that. 59, 60? What year is this? This is, must be this the is early 60s. 1960. Four. Okay. And uh, I really looked at the uh, magazine. I was 24 years old. And I said, okay, Troy, there's something different. I could never accept the word homosexual before then um, because I'd read when I was very young um, in the psych books in Mobile, Alabama, mm-hmm. at the public library, I saw the word homosexual. And it said you were sick. You wanted to wear your mother's clothes. Uh, they just went through all these stereotypes. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I don't want to do any of those, so that's not me. I'm not sick, and I did my right. my mother's clothes would be too big for me, <laughs> even if I did it. And so, <clears throat> but I um, was pastoring in Santa Ana, California, mm. and uh, came home, read the, the woman at the bookstore, I said, do you have any other books on homosexuality? She said, yeah, I've got a few looking me up and down, making me very nervous. And I know today she was probably a sister, mm. a lesbian. Ah. But she put the books in, and I wrote out a check uh, for $18 and something. That was a lot of money back then. And uh, But I took them back to the parsonage, and there were two things that helped me. One was called uh, Book Called The Homosexual in America mm. uh, by um, Daniel Webster Corey. 
And when I read that book, I knew without a shadow of a doubt I was a gay man. The other one was a little magazine called One. And that little magazine published yeah. by One Incorporated the very here in first, Los Angeles. The very first LGBT publication. Yeah, yeah. the very first yeah. one that was sold in the mail. Hmm. And when I uh, read it, it let me know there were millions of people like me. Hmm. And it literally changed my life. Yeah. And so my wife had been on an extended vacation back east. And uh, all at once with this newfound thing, what am I going to do? And what does this mean? And I was so funny. I look back on my life, and sometimes the things I did were just so weird. I decided I was going to bed with a man. If I liked it, I was homosexual. (laughs) (laughs) It was like a taste test. See if I like this. (laughs) That's right. And so I invited uh, a Marine who was attending my church. Why not? To stay over. You know what I mean? And. I liked it. So I bet. I said, <laughs> and of course, the next morning, oh, he said, "How could you do that?" And I said, "What do you mean? How could I do it? We did it." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know you what I mean? Me. You did everything I did. Right, I said, right, yeah. You know? Wow. And I knew I was going to have problems with the church right then. Hmm. And he did. He reported me to uh, our headquarters, and uh, I was excommunicated. Wow. Moved into LA, and uh, uh, really wrestled with coming. Uh, with that, I was uh, all at once um, drafted into the U.S. military. Right. You and went to Germany, I think. I went yeah. to Germany. That's right. correct. Yeah. And I had a top secret NATO crypto clearance. <clears throat> I was a cryptographer and uh, had no problems in the military, was open as you can be hmm. in the military. But no one believed me <laughs> because I was still – I was going through a divorce with my wife. Got it. And they thought, oh, it's just because of that. And and, uh, but it wasn't because of that. It was I'd really come to the point where I knew who I was. Now, during this time, were you feeling separation from God, from Jesus? I from sure your, did. Yeah. I uh, I just convinced myself God can't love me hmm. because the church told me that. Uh, they said the Bible told me that. And I'd read the scriptures, uh, but I read them like a lot of Christians do. Just a scripture, hmm. not in context. Right. And uh, so uh, as I... I looked at that, and I'd tried. I'd met someone and um, had tried to take him to church with me till my old church scared him to death. It was a Pentecostal <laughs> church of, I mean, the most fanatical type. Right. And um, But um, I kept wrestling with it, and I went through a uh, suicide attempt. Mm-hmm. Um, the young man that I'd really fell in love with, uh, he was... Um, uh, from uh, Montana, Montana Cowboys school teacher. Mm. And um, you had your own Brookback Mountain. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you laugh today, but, but it was really, it was incredible. Mm. And uh, we were great in bed together, but after six months, he said, I just can't live with you. You're the most domineering individual I've met in my life. I said, What do you mean I'm domineering? <laughs> he said, You never let me out of your sight. I said, that's because I love you. And he said, well, love me a little less. Let me go out by myself. And I said, no. He said, that's what I mean right there. And um, we broke up. 
I took a razor blade, cut both my wrists, mm. climbed into a bathtub, and it was while I was at County General Hospital, a woman walked in, African-American woman in a nurse's uniform, and she said, I don't know why you've done this, but this is crazy. She said, I tried it too. And she held out, oh my God, her arms were just, mm. I couldn't believe it. And she said, uh, uh, you're too young for this. Isn't there somebody you can talk to? Can't you just look up? She pushed every church button on me. <laughs> and then the doctor came in, bad cop. And <laughs> as he's sewing up my, my wrists, he's saying, um, do I need to lock you up for 72 hours? Or are you going to be okay? And I said, well, what do you think? He said, well, I think you need your ass kicked all over the hospital. That's what I think. <laughs> but he said, I'm not responsible for you. You tell me. Are you going to be okay? And I had prayed when the woman came in, and I felt what we Christians sometimes call the joy of our salvations. We're from fundamentalist backgrounds. And um, so I said, I'm going to be okay. Hmm. Now, we need to go to a commercial break now, but when we come back, I mean, this is probably a good place to start on then the founding of the MCC churches. I think your greatest legacy. One of them. So many. All right. Gang, we're we're talking to the Reverend Troy Perry here on Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast take me to church by who jason I already forgot again. Hazier. Hazier. There you go. <laughs> Take me to church. Gang, we're talking to the Reverend Troy Perry, founder of the Metropolitan Community Churches, founder of Christopher Street West, Los Angeles. And uh, Troy, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. So when we uh, talked before the commercial break, you were talking about a suicide attempt, and it's 1968. And I think as your story goes, then a friend of yours got arrested at the Patch Bar in Los Angeles, right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, I had... Um, after my partner and I broke up and after he had walked out of my life in the suicide attempt um, I started dating again and uh, met a young man uh, Tony Valdez and uh, we had heard of this bar in the Wilmington area of Los Angeles near San Pedro Uh and uh, we decided we would go down it was the first gay dance bar in the city of Los Angeles and there was the Canyon Club there were others on the Mm -hmm. peripheral but and this is 68 roughly 
This is 1968. Summer of Love. And uh, yeah, we go into it, and uh, we he goes over to the bar to purchase us beers. A friend of ours who's standing there, an older man, uh, Bill Hastings, uh, cut up with uh, with Tony. They started camping. And finally, Tony said something so funny that uh, immediately uh, Bill slapped him on the rump. With that, Tony came over to bring me my beer. And uh, these three police officers, as it turned out, in plain clothes, three vice officers came over and said, come outside with us, flash their badge. I said, who are you talking to? They said, not to you, to him. And uh, they took him out with Bill Hastings. They were charged with lewd and lascivious conduct. Uh, two gay men, one slapping the other one on the rump in a gay bar, had to mean something sexual. And um, the owner of the bar jumped up, Lee Glaze, said, we're all going down to the police station. We're going to get them out. Uh, I know there has to be a, a florist here. I'll buy out every flower you have. We ended up about um, uh, 10 of us at the police station go walking in <laughs> and Lee goes walking right up to the cop behind the counter and he said we're here to uh, bail our sisters out of jail <laughs> and the cop said what is your sister's name and he said Bill Hastings and Tony Valdez <laughs> the cop called for backup Wow. And uh, there are photographs of all of this. Mm. I mean, it's uh, one archives here in L.A. Mm. has photographs. And it was the first time in my life that I saw the police frightened by just people being different uh, in the police station. And I put it away for future th- times when I demonstrated. Mm-hmm. And um, when I got Tony Homo, he broke down crying. And he said, uh, you know, I was raised in the Catholic Church. And he said, I went to my priest. When I was 15 years old, I told him about my feelings, and he ordered me out of Catholic Sunday schools. And me now, I've after my um, suicide attempt, I always tell people I had a revelation, and my revelation was in talking to God in prayer. We Pentecostal Southern Baptists believe God talks back, so I, in my prayer, uh, God spoke to me as I'm arguing with God, saying, "You can't love me." Scripture says you can't. Uh, my church has told me you can't, and. God got a word in edgewise and said to me, Troy, I love you. I don't have stepsons and daughters. And with that, I knew without a shadow of a doubt I could be a gay man and a Christian. But it took me three months to finally work it out in my head that if God loved me, then God had to love other gay folk. You put an ad in the One Institute, I think. No, Uh, I put it in The Advocate. In The Advocate. The Advocate was a brand new publication here. That's right. And I I didn't even know you weren't supposed to put your real name (laughs) or or your home address. Right. And I did everything I did as a Southern Baptist Pentecostal. Right. I put in here Reverend Troy Perry, gave my home address, went home told my roommate who probably had a heart attack and said my god he said you've taken out an ad in a gay newspaper he said troy he said they're going to be scooping them up in nets the police are as people come down there yeah homosexuality was illegal it was illegal right at the time you didn't even have to have a sex act you were illegal per se yeah and um so it was very very interesting um that first sunday uh nine friends and three strangers showed up at my house and uh, the nine friends were there to laugh at you that's at least the way the story goes it's really the truth (laughs) like well we've got to be there at least to watch but you know uh 
only three people came up for communion when I served communion. And um, it was not a dry in the place. Mm-hmm. And uh, next week we had 18 in attendance. I said, oh, thank you, Jesus, we're growing. <laughs> next week, you know, we had 20. I said, oh, thank God. Praise be to the Lamb forever. The next week we had eight and almost died right in there. <laughs> and uh, I always cut up and tell people that God told me, quit counting the crowd. Just do what I've told you to do. And in a year and a half, we were running over 1,000 in attendance and had bought our first piece of Property. A thousand people. That's yep. amazing. Now, and uh, those our church churches, has grown. They were subject to arson, weren't they? Didn't the original yes. church get burned down? Uh, 1973, January, somebody arsoned the building, burned down. That was a bad year for us. We had five churches arsoned. One, a terrible fire in New Orleans, where 32 people died. Oh. And our pastor, our assistant pastor, and his lover, and 10 church members uh, all died there. And then there were other people who were in the building and uh, but it's been an incredible journey I mean I've always told our story and um, I just got uh, had a conversation the Smithsonian called me and we had a conversation and they want uh, certain things for me to put in the Smithsonian That's incredible. Institute it really is from 50 years ago when we started mm. uh, to where we're at today in um 32 countries and over 200 churches. That's amazing. Now, while you're doing this, Stonewall happens, 1969. (laughs) A year later, you decide to commemorate the anniversary of the Stonewall Uprising by having the first gay pride parade in the country. The other two men who were the founders with me, uh, they came. They wanted a demonstration. I told Morris Kite, nope. I said, this is Hollywood. I said, we're, we're going to have a parade. And this is Float City. I said, the Rose Bowl parade, the, the Hollywood uh, uh, Holiday, Christmas, Christmas parade, you know, everything, yeah. big yeah. parades. And uh, saying and doing were two different things. Wow. Uh, we went to the police commission. They tried to laugh us out of the room and said, you can have it if you have 5,000 people marching. If you put up two bonds, one in the amount of of a million dollars to pay for the businesses a million dollars bricks the bricks they're going to throw at y'all are going to break out these windows and y'all have to pay for that and we want a half a million dollars in cash a cash bond to pay the police officers overtime that it's going to take to protect them my god we thank them profusely went to the aclu went right back the next <laughs> week uh herb selwyn this wonderful jewish attorney uh, took us to uh, write to uh, went in and he said as you know the city charter says we have to appear before you twice uh, before we can sue well they laughed and ha ha and he he the chief of police had said I'd rather have thieves and burglars marching wow. than homosexuals was Chief in this Parker city. back then? Chief, no, no it was Ed Wardem Davis oh. and uh, but I don't give up on people Ed later changed his mind and carried the bill that said we had a right to a job in the state of yes, California yes he did so, I mean, you, sometimes you don't know, you know. Yeah. But uh, so, we still disliked him. But that first 
week, uh, I'm sorry, the first parade. Uh, we won on Friday, and the parade was to be on Sunday. Uh-huh. And we thought, oh, God, we have nothing ready. Quick, Bill floats. We call 48 people. hours. Yeah, 48 hours. We, got. we said, bring your pets. We'll have a pet section. And wouldn't you know, the kid who led the pet section ended up in Time Magazine because he had the uh, sign on each side that said, we don't all walk poodles. And uh, so the rest has been history wow. and it's the oldest gay pride parade in the world new york had a demonstration that right, day right right and nothing wrong with that but we had the parade here yeah reverend troy this year abc televised the parade the first time in the nation's history. i am that so must have brought proud. tears to your eyes yeah. i don't know what to do that i live to see all of that yeah has meant so much to me oh, and well. it's incredible life as we continue to live we are running out of time. I hope you'll come back again. I've got. I feel like I just got this much time with you, and I could get so much more out of you. I hope you'll come back another time. Well, thank yeah. you so much, Joe. Right. Really appreciate. Gang it. Reverend Troy Perry, founder of the MCC Churches in Christopher Street West. After commercial break, we'll be coming back with the incredible Margaret Cho here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. (laughs) Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. Gang, I've got Margaret Cho in studio here at Sidebar. Welcome, Margaret. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> we weren't sure what clips to play for you. You know, it's very hard to... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My language. You're the FCC rules. That's I know. Right. It's the worst. <laughs> Terrible. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. You are a San Francisco native. And we're broadcasting up on AM right now in San Francisco. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love that. And you were uh, born and raised up there, right? Mm -hmm. And I think your bio says in a sort of a mixed area where it was everything from Korean to Chinese to drag queens to homeless to hippies. Yes. (laughs) Um, I actually uh, went to the Gay Pride Parade in San Francisco in 1978. Wow. So it's um, something that I, I remember very clearly and... And uh, my, my parents owned a bookstore on Polk in California in the 70s. So this is like in the middle of all of the, the craziness, the very tales of the city mm. gr- growing up experience. A very yeah. Armistead Mopan. Armistead right. actually did a signing at our bookstore. Oh, very cool. So I grew up around around a very exciting time. Um, so yes, lots of lots of drag. Uh, they, they do love a pageant in San Francisco. <laughs> a lot of empress of San Francisco kind of pageants. And it, it was a, a very gay upbringing, yeah. Yes. Where do you get your humor? Your dad wrote jokes, right? He wrote mm-hmm. jokes. He um, writes like, uh, like I think maybe kind of for for uh, speeches. You may you may take one of my father's like books, and they're all kind of like these curated joke lists of things you could probably say in mixed company. So I don't have a say. In it. <laughs> like it's not anything that I would write. But uh, so, but but my family's not. They're 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 funny. I think in 
in a, in the way that like they're uh, they they're I think they like to comment on things like they're now they're all about the whole uh, college admission scandal. They're like this is very triggering for Asian people because <laughs> it's like all about education. And I didn't go to college. I'm like the only Asian American to not go to college. So they're like I cannot. But wow, they're like so. How can people cheat? How can they cheat? <laughs> like that Korean exasperation. Um, it's very intense. So it's not a laughing matter with them. They're oh, I cannot. The Lori 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 They can't even say her name. Lori Lachlan. Very upset about it. That's so funny. You uh, go for racism head on. I love that about you. (laughs) I'm Mexican-American, so Mm -hmm. I was called the coconut as a kid, which meant brown on the outside, white on the inside. I wasn't Mexican enough. I wasn't Latino enough. But then later I was told that I was too Mexican. It was this constant thing back and forth. That's the same with Asian. Well, I get get a banana, which is a yellow on the outside, Uh, white white on on the inside. inside, So you and I make really excellent um, Mai Tai tai, (laughs) suntan lotion. It smells like the beach. (laughs) Um, what, you know, what a strange thing because it's like you're sort of judged by degrees of, of who, who you are, is your identity, what is it, your, I don't know, it's very strange. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's usually people like, who are, uh, uh, either, um, not necessarily Asian or Latino that are making those comments. That's so true. That's very, very true. You know, that's the weird thing, too, is like, who are you to talk about that in a way that you think you know? Yeah. It's very strange. When you were growing up as a kid, did you get picked on? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. For what? Everything. Well, I had such a lesbian face. I mean, I still do. I have (laughs) have a serious case of dyke face. (laughs) So I definitely presented... Probably more gay than I even do now. Like, I was a very boyish girl and also very, you know, I would get these crushes on girls that were so intense and I'd be always always crying about a girl, you know, like about a friend. And I remember at my school there was like uh, graffiti on the wall. People had written that I was a lesbian. And I think that that was really scary because... Even though I knew I knew lesbians from my father's bookstore, um, they were all these very serious women who wore like a corduroy blazer with suede right, patches, right. like very serious. Lesbians in the seventies were very serious, you know. <laughs> they had all had that sort of like bowl cut or like uh, you know Dorothy Hamill, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and glasses, and they were always very very political. And uh, so I knew lesbians, and so I was like, well, I mean, I probably am. I knew that I was different. So I think when you're you're gay, definitely kids. Very much pick up on that difference hmm. and want to uh, kind of distance themselves from it. So you get make, made fun of for that. Um, so that that was like kind of the most of it, you know, in general. And that sort of followed into high school too. Um, so you know, I, that's why I really was moved by the whole "It Gets Better" campaign hmm. because you can get to those feelings of desperation when you are a kid and kind of not sure. And at that time in the 70s we didn't have the language to talk about sexuality in the way that we do now right and especially about bullying so um and and the effects of that so it it i think it was a really difficult time Hmm. did you have the same feeling yeah completely yeah completely i mean and i went to high school in the 70s too and so Mm -hmm. uh, gay was just there was not a word that for it there were a lot of derogatory words right you know faggot queer i got called all of them it was really really awful well if you would watch like television too in in uh, comedy that it was very very uh, accepted 
to make fun of homosexuality. Yeah. Billy Crystal on Soap was the first character I remember. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But there were there there were like the characters that would be put forth as gay characters in general were um, kind of like somehow uh, very stereotypical, very uh, very weak. Charles Nelson Riley, the nanny and the professor. Ooh. Paul Lind, bewitched. Well, they were yeah. they were strong. They were they were tough ones. The, Paul Lind is like amazing. He to is me. amazing. I think so too. I think he is incredible. And, and Charles Nelson Riley too. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, the the, the game show queens were so strong <laughs> yeah. and so terrifying. Yes, Paul Lynn is the center square. You always knew he was going to rip into somebody. Yes, amazing. Yeah. I always thought. Well, Addison DeWitt from uh, All About Eve, that character too, oh, the poison pen of Addison yeah. DeWitt. He was, uh, I guess. To me, those kind, I don't know if he's supposed to be gay, but its he read gay to me right, as yeah. a terrifying gay, right. which I, I, I appreciated those characters. Yeah. You had a comedy show, All-American Girl. Yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. In 1994. 94. So long ago. Yeah. And, and we only got like less than a minute now, but I mean, how did that get started? It came out of Golden Palace. You had a role in the, <laughs> the Not Golden, the Golden Girls, Girls yes. but Golden Palace. Yeah. Yes. And they were trying to develop shows around stand-up comedians. And so I was I was part of that. And yes, yeah, it uh, we didn't end up doing more than a season, but now, 25 years later, they have uh, finally Fresh Off the Boat and Crazy Rich Asians. Finally, you know, it took so long to get Asians on television and in movies. Yeah, very true. We're talking to the incredible Margaret Cho, gang. We'll be back after this commercial break here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. Love the flexibility of working in all sorts of places? Well, working on the go seamlessly requires a strong network like T-Mobile. We have America's largest 5G network, so whether you're on a video call at the park or uploading large files at a coffee shop, we have the 5G speed you need. Whatever takes you on the go, T-Mobile's got you covered. Find out more at tmobile.com/network today. Coverage not available in some areas. See 5G device coverage and access details at tmobile.com. <laughs> Margaret Cho and Margaret Cho in studio with us. That's great, Jason. Thanks for that. <laughs> um, you, uh, we, we ended up, Margaret, talking about your your show, American Princess. I think I remember reading once, maybe it was in a tabloid or People or something, but there were food issues or you had some oh, yes. weight issues. Or- um, Oh, it's all American Girl. Yeah. American all-American Princess girl. would be great. That sounds like a good miniseries, <laughs> that's, that's, like that's Princess Princess Daisy. <laughs> that's like really like lace. <laughs> um, I I think uh, the problem with me on the show was that they were like, we didn't realize she was fat. Like I did. Like that was I did the screen test, and then the network, like the all the executives were like freaking out, like. I don't even know what they were saying in the boardroom, like because I wasn't fat, but I was I I in my I guess. I don't know my my twenties. They they I was definitely like fat for television because at that time it was like the middle of heroin chic. You know, this is like Kate Moss. Everybody wanted to be really really thin, and I was not that. And I I was really confused by that because all of my work up until then had been in comedy, so I didn't realize you had to be look a certain way to be in television. I, I was very, very right. wrong. So I ended up having to lose a lot of weight very quickly, which was really stressful. And I um, I got very sick from it and, uh, you know, had to be hospitalized. It was like a, it's a nutso thing. It became like the, that sort of became my focus as opposed to writing and acting and doing comedy. It was really about being thinner. And then that was a whole nother obsession that 
really, I think it took me a while to get rid of that. I think in, in Hollywood, if you're on camera, there there is so much pressure for you to look a certain way. And mm. it used to be just really women that kind of went through that. But now it's men, too. It's everybody. Yeah, I was wondering about that. Because you think of John Candy, John Belushi, yeah. a lot of gay, uh, not gay men, a lot of men, comedians, mm-hmm. were overweight. And, and right. they didn't have to worry about it. Was that a double standard for women, you think? Definitely, at that time. But now I think it's much more... Um, it, that that we we do have that for everyone now yeah. that there's a real strict adherence to this idea of um, who we want to see in in anything. Yeah. Um, but you know it's 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 a very strange thing when you're like when you feel kind of insecure already and then to have that ad- added pressure of needing to be thinner mm. it's really it, it really kind of sent me into this very long intense downward spiral of trying to be thinner not eating and then i was uh, and i ended up drinking and using drugs because i was so hungry mm. i had to put something in there <laughs> to you fill know? the void to yeah. fill the void yeah, yeah. so uh and which is not a good thing to do either <laughs> you're pretty open about your recovery you you yeah. actually you had a bout with alcohol i've this. had quite a few but i've yeah. i've gone 12 rounds <laughs> with, with alcohol and drugs and I've lost you know you can't win nobody wins um, in that battle but I still I'll go up against it every once in a while yeah. I'm like okay let me try it again I don't know what makes me want to get back in the ring with it I mean I'm not going to do it now but it's kind of like okay today I'm not going to it's not lever I always think you can't say I'm never going to do something for the rest of my life because you just don't know exactly so and I want to keep my options open but today I'm not going to do it <laughs> <laughs> that's where that bumper sticker one day at a time comes in right? yeah, yeah, yeah and it's a very Bonnie Franklin kind of way to be it's you know that that you just just don't worry about tomorrow because we don't even know. So it's, it, you know, I think that it's like, um, I, I just don't have what alcohol and drugs want from me. Like I can't give, I can't pay that price because mm-hmm. too, too expensive, mm-hmm. you know? So that's why I, I uh, do not, uh, do not partake. You are such an LGBT icon. I mean, I think gay men especially just worship you. I, I love gay I men. Do. I love it. I do. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, yeah. There was a time, though, I remember, I think HRC was afraid of you speaking at one of their events at the Democratic National Convention. Oh, yes. I got yeah. disinvited. You got, you got I got dis- dis- I, They were like, come, don't come. And um, it, it, I don't know exactly what it was. I think it was, I was very critical of George W. Bush. Yes, in, as um, you should be. Yeah. 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 But at that time, this was like probably 2003, 2004. People were like not sure what to say. And uh, at that point, um, you know, that's that's when I got disinvited. But it was also um, I think that it was just a weird time. You know, everybody thought everything was it was so bad then, though. We didn't know what bad was. And now we know. <laughs> now by, we, by we have an idea. Now we have something to compare to. Yes. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, at that time, it was it was strange. But, like, I, I, I'm always disappointed that I haven't gotten asked to do the White House Correspondents' Dinner, which I would love to, but I haven't been asked. Um, so maybe someday. I think the next president, not maybe not this one, but mm-hmm. the next president, maybe she'll ask you. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. That would be awesome. Politics have always been part of your comedy routine, along with race and, and gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, where does that come from? San Francisco? I think it's San Francisco. Mm-hmm. I think it's because uh, when I started doing comedy, a lot of the things that I was doing um, was... Uh, 
a lot of gay events, gay political events. Um, also, there was like Rock Against Reagan, which was like a very big political thing happening in San Francisco. And um, also AIDS. Mm-hmm. AIDS was a big part of my childhood and like later it was a big part of my activism and then I think we all learn how to be activists through learning how to live with this disease and make the government understand that we needed help for it and so there was a lot of movements happening um, I, the one I loved was a Brownie Mary do you remember Brownie Mary yeah, yeah. she was a, a elderly lady she's deceased now she's a wonderful lady but she would bake brownies for people uh, dying of AIDS in hospice yep. and uh, she would get them high so that they could eat yes. and uh, she uh, gave me a brownie I was high for about two weeks <laughs> but uh, I loved that that kind of grassroots literally grassroots yeah. <laughs> literally grassroots activism that's with Dennis Perone up in San Francisco on Brownie Mary yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah that's amazing it's incredible and there they they gave birth to what is um you know the marijuana movement now yes again which I don't partake but I, I appreciate the political uh I don't know the the justice of it all. I think it's good. That's really cool. I know. Okay, my my nephew is married to a Korean woman, mm-hmm. and so we have this very mixed family. We have you know Latino, white. Uh, my brother married a white woman. My nephew married a Korean. So we've got this like United Nations thing that happens mm-hmm. when we all gather. But I think that uh, Korean and Asian culture, there are gender expectations. Oh, absolutely. That you defy completely. Absolutely. Yeah. And she does too. My my nephew's wife. She defies them all. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know that there are so much. Um, uh, there, there's a difference in the way that boys and girls are raised, and mm-hmm. also, um, you know, they, they in Korea, they just don't think people can be gay. I'm like, have you been to Korea? There's some gay people, <laughs> really gay people in Korea. But th- there's a, a, you know, if they have um, the gay pride parade, which they do in Korea, people wear a lot of masks because they don't want um, to be photographed. Not only not just not just to be gay, but to be in support of gay gay stuff so it's a very it's a very weird culture and and so i defy it in so many ways um you know my parents even they understand gay and straight they get gay my gayness but they have a really hard time with my bisexuality actually most people in the world have a hard time (laughs) with my bisexuality choice make a decision (laughs) yeah because it's this weird thing of like are you um kind of lying about what your real preferences are or is you know because oftentimes people who don't feel comfortable coming out will say oh well i'm bisexual you know that's kind of a it's almost a place you go in the in-between of like being fully gay and you know being being so called straight so it's a it's a strange thing to kind of have to defend right yeah we've had the american bi institute representatives on and you know but there was a time when i I came out in the 70s -hmm. where bisexuals were threatening to me because to me i thought you know pick a side one or the other we're in the middle of a war Mm -hmm. now now i'm realizing that there are people who are just attracted to each gender and it's perfectly fine Yeah, yeah i mean it's like um it's like a strange thing, but in the community, I feel like we get like really sort of like side sidebar. We are sidebar, <laughs> ladies that, and gentlemen. Sidebar. <laughs> yeah, we are kind of like this sidebar uh, in a in a sense because we can still quote unquote pass. You know, like we can't like, it, and then it's sort of the argument of like is being gay a choice? 
That's right, that's right. also uh, something that comes up. But I don't think that uh, people really understand. And I also think that expressions of bisexuality are different for everyone. Mm-hmm. And I also don't think that the term is correct because... Um, I believe there are more than two genders. Mm, pansexual. So yes, yeah, so pansexual. Um, definitely, I definitely feel like it's closer to uh, non-binary mm-hmm. in in a sense because non-binary is really like the rejection of those gender parameters or just being two. Mm-hmm. So I, I I agree about bisexuality too so the term is wrong have you written books you i, I, I have i i would lo- i did not realize that <laughs> i want to read them because i okay. bet they're fascinating yeah I, i've written a couple of books and uh so yeah it's it's great i mean to me it's a very uh it's a different pursuit because um i'm so undisciplined like i just want to like perform and be done so a book really makes me sit down and Right, which yeah. is yeah. <laughs> dumb. Yeah, that's what you do when you write a book. But it's it's definitely something that I love. Wow, that's incredible, ladies and gentlemen, and those in between. The incredible <laughs> Margaret Show. Thank you, Margaret, for spending Thank some time you. with us. When we come back, we'll have some trans members of the LA County Sheriff's Department on with us. Thanks for tuning into Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. And Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. <laughs> That's your intro music, Lieutenant Mueller. Do you love that? Love that. Absolutely love it. <laughs> Thanks for that, Jason. We're in studio now uh, with two members of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department, Lieutenant Don Mueller and Deputy Austin Gustello. Did I say it wrong? It's Guastali. Guastali. Yeah, that's okay. okay. I, I almost got it's it. It's a near miss, near miss. You're okay. <laughs> almost got it. And uh, I think, Lieutenant Mueller, you, when you were on the show last, you told us that there were now 12 transgender deputies in the department? That is correct. That, we, is that the most in the nation? Yes, it is the most in the nation that we're aware of, of any major law enforcement agency. Wow. Yeah. And yeah, what we, do you attribute that to? The, uh, the uh, department, I, Lee Baca, Sherm Block? Uh, I, to be honest with you, I think it's a combination of several things. One, the progressive nature of, of Los Angeles and West um, Hollywood's uh-huh. uh, effect on our department. I'll take um, some credit. All right. Absolutely. I'll pat myself on the back. Nothing wrong with that. <laughs> uh, we were the first department in the entire nation to come out with a full comprehensive policy that supported transgender members of our own department. I think that made a huge difference because at the time we only had three uh, known open trans members on the department. Since we've come out with that policy, we're now at 12. That's amazing. So I think that has made a big difference because we put it in writing to protect our own people and cover that. Austin, how long have you been part of the Sheriff's Department? Uh, seven years. Seven years. Okay. And you, I think I read an article about you You were doing jails. Are you still doing the custody? I work in or? court services right now. Oh, very yes. cool. All right. And have you ever been out in the field? Or? Yes, I have. I'm patrol trained. Um, I was at a couple stations for a few years. And- wow. Now, I, if you don't mind me getting a little personal, when, when did you uh, make your transition? I believe it was about three years ago. Okay. I started my transition. So when you first began with the department, then you identified as, well, a female. Female, female yes. deputy, right? Yes. And so you transitioned then within the department watching this all occur. I did. I did. And how did it go? Um, 
there were a lot of bumps along the road. Um, but like Don said, I'm, I'm really happy about the policy. It allowed me to be me. Um, it allowed me to fully be honest with not only the higher-up superiors, but also my colleagues that I work with every day, and even the community that I work with. So, hmm. yeah. And what was, I mean, your fellow deputies, so, I mean, I'm... Uh, how did most supportive all supportive some not supportive what was it like it was a mixed bag um but with the policy no one's really allowed to say anything negative about right. that right um so i just let my work um like talk for me and speak for me i want to be a good partner i want my partners to trust me um and i kind of i made it obvious that this is who i am um but i don't want it to be all that i am i'm a deputy i'm your partner and um I want you to respect me for that as well. Hmm. I'm just curious because you know I, I do my day job. I'm a criminal defense lawyer, so I work with the courts and sheriff deputies and prosecutors all day, just as you all do. And uh, I, I know that there's been historically like a good old boy mentality around law enforcement. And, and have you found that to exist? And are you part of it, or are people cautious about it around you? I think or? people are. Some people are cautious about it, but then there's a lot of people that just don't care. They care about me as a person because they know me personally and they also um, see what good of a job I do and how I work hard yeah. um, and so it doesn't matter at that point that, that's awesome to most yeah that's awesome yeah I, I'm uh, sorry if I, I hope I'm not getting too personal by that no not at all okay not at all you have to be open and honest vulnerability <laughs> is key so okay now the um, the uh, deputies that you worked with um, uh, while you were uh, a woman and then became a uh, male did they have a lot of questions for you? I mean, was this something they didn't understand? Was it all very foreign to them? Or? It was. I mean, at that period of time, I, you go through a transition with the people you work with. Um, it's not just you that's transitioning. It's also the people that I think that's you're true. working with. Family, um, too. Family, too. So they're yeah. starting to see me be more sure of myself and become the real me that's always been there. And they're also seeing me physically transition. Um, and so all of those things... You know, there's lots of questions, there's lots of talking behind the scenes, but when it comes down to it, at the end of the day, um, I've found that most have been very supportive of me, and I'm, I'm very thankful for that. So. Hmm. that that's really great. Um, anybody ever treat you badly to the point where it required you having to speak out or ask for assistance? I know it's a personnel matter, so you may not be able to answer right, this. No, but. no, I've never had that. I've never had that um, issue come in. You know, like I said, you always hear behind the scenes little things here and there come back to you. Right. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm a law enforcement officer so it kind of have to be a little tough and um, like I said for the most part everybody's been very positive with me and have been very supportive and uh, you know there's always going to be bumps in the road but you have to keep pushing yeah so. I, I so I don't know if Don uh, Mueller told you but I, I represented the very first sheriff deputy who came out of the closet back in 1988 uh, the late Bruce Boland so to to watch, you have to understand, this is like a moment for me <laughs> to have you here, because to watch the department go from a place where they considered homosexuality incompatible with law enforcement, there was no even talk back then of transgender deputies. We couldn't even get past, you know, gay in law enforcement, to where we are to have somebody like you there as a deputy just doing what all deputies do is... And all of that's not lost on me. Because yeah, it's I, a miracle. I actually do really enjoy uh, seeing people from the past um, who have transitioned or who have come out in the department and just seeing how um, progressive this department is and other departments are becoming. Um, just trying to fuse the, the community 
and the relationship with us in the community. So mm. it's it's important. It's important. That's yeah. why I'm here. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, Lieutenant Mueller, I mean, I mean, I'm going to focus on you and take the heat off uh, Austin for just a second. <laughs> so um, do you think the LAPD will ever get to where we are with the sheriffs? I mean, historically, they tend to lag a step or two behind. Yeah, and, and I don't know exactly why that is, but I think they'll get there. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. They do have a couple trans members. I'm not sure if it's two or three at the moment. Um, I think we're ahead of them in this issue. And a lot of that credits to the city of West Hollywood mm-hmm. and the the relationship between our department and that city and how it has changed us from within because of the pressure to change. And once we start to change, our own members have influence on each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's why we have so many out gay and lesbian deputies now. I mean, we're in the hundreds. Uh, hundreds. Wow. Oh, yeah, easily. Hundreds. Well, two to three hundred that are openly gay now. Yeah, two to three hundred. Out? Across the department, yeah. We have somebody. <laughs> sorry, we have I'm people sorry. who are. There's out. a point where one was a struggle. So you're yeah. saying hundreds? I'm oh, like, absolutely. Uh, blown I mean, away we here. have openly gay division chiefs, captains, oh. commanders. Oh. Yeah, we have multiple people who acknowledge. They may not all be marching with a flag and may not all be out there at pride, but a lot of them are just living their lives, and that wasn't even possible then. Right, that right. everybody in the station knows that they have a partner, know they're yeah. gay, and they're fine. Yeah. And they're doing well. And that's I think that's what we were hoping to achieve. We've we've arrived in a sense. Yeah. One yeah. of my political mentors was a lesbian in the seventies named Pat Callahan in the early eighties mm-hmm. and she used to say what we're fighting for is the right to just be left alone. Yeah. I used to, and that just always resonated resonated with me like just leave me alone i mean right. don't treat me any differently just I, let me live my life i right. agree with that yeah. i mean individuals like yourself or myself might be a little more visible and vocal right. but we have so many members who are able to just be themselves and not live in fear and come to work and everybody knows and they're just doing their job and they just want to go home and and live their life and yeah. Yeah. And they can do that today. So the policy that was put together for transgender deputies, tell me yes. how that came about and, and what's in it. Um, well, about, I would say, f- that's been about five, six years now um, that several of us were talking about that we need to have something in writing to protect our trans members. Because uh, our trans members go through changes that uh, those of us who are gay or lesbian don't even have to deal with. Things like locker room usages. Which locker room are you using? Restrooms. How are we going to address those issues for somebody who wants to transition while they're at work that may have been hired, identified as one gender, and now they're transitioning to another gender? How do we deal with that? So we wanted something in writing to help both our unit commanders deal with it and to protect our employees. Yeah. At the same time. Yeah, I was going to ask Austin about that exact question, but I thought that was probably playing into the whole locker room talk. But it's a real issue. But it is a a, a real issue. Absolutely. Uh, Austin, did you have any issues with that? I mean, I I guess it sounds kind of funny to say, but one month you're in the women's locker room, and a few months later you're in the men's locker room. I think you just have to go a case-by-case basis. For me, it was when I felt strong enough in myself and how I looked and how I presented and how I felt about me. um, to do the change and to and to make the change from the women's locker room to the men's. I also didn't want to make my female counterparts feel uncomfortable where they were. Right. So for a long time, I would just dress in my car mm. um, in back in the in the back parking lot um, because I don't want to make anybody feel uncomfortable. The whole point is for me to feel comfortable in my environment, but I don't want to do in a, I don't want to do that and then make everybody else feel right. uncomfortable Absolutely. where they work as well. Yeah. So um, I think it's a case by case basis, but for me, it was when I felt good enough and strong enough in myself. I think what most people don't understand is it's not a one-day switch. 
you're not in a women's locker room on Tuesday and on Wednesday you switch to the men's locker room. That's a transition also. Um, for most of our employees that have transitioned on the job, we have worked out usually a kind of middle area because our employees don't want to switch it. They're not ready. Right, to, right. They may be going through medical issues and medical conditions that yeah. they just want privacy. Yeah. So we usually end up creating some kind of a interim uh, transitional locker room for a while until the employee is ready to really make that change. And it gives time for all their fellow employees to also transition with them, get used to it. Yeah. And it, it, we don't bang people over the head with the one night. And it's kind it's of a red herring issue because all you're doing really is taking off your tennis shoes and your t-shirt and you're putting on <laughs> yes. a gun. You're putting yes. on a badge so and a true. gun. You know, it's, all, it's, it's this so is probably true. like a three-minute incident of the entire day. Yeah, And that everybody focuses on that. We need to go to a quick commercial break. We're talking to Lieutenant Don Mueller and uh, Deputy Austin... Guastelli. Guastelli! I'm going to get it before the end of the show, I promise. <laughs> Here on Sidebar with John Duran on the Channel Q. Tacovis is a terrific boot brand, and they're bringing a fresh perspective to heritage boot making. So they've carried forward all the time-honored traditions and quality you find in a great pair of cowboy boots. But they've innovated on comfort, style, and service. As someone who tries to pursue a minimalist lifestyle, I highly value quality over quantity. And I'm telling you, you can't find a higher quality boot than Tacovis. Their Western boots for men and women are handmade. Handmade from the most premium leathers with over 200 time-honored individual steps. Also, did I mention that they are Austin-designed, Texas-tested, and handmade down in the boot-making capital of the world, Leon, Mexico. And also, if you've ever wondered if you can pull off cowboy boots, which is something that I was thinking, you should pull on a pair of Tacovas and you'll see. Just do a quick search for Tacovas on social media and you'll see how adorably styled these boots can be. Visit tacovas.com, that's T E C O V A S.com, and point your toes west. That's what make you want to feel like where, marching, Lieutenant Mueller. Where did you find that music? <laughs> I, I told it. Jason, get me something from Dragnet or something. Dragnet. Is that yeah, Dragnet? That is Dragnet. <laughs> you had to dig for that one. <laughs> That's awesome. Gang, we're talking to Lieutenant Don Mueller and Deputy Austin Gravelli. Volley. Gravelli. Oh, I'm dying. I'm, yeah. I'm going to write it on my hand. That's sort of how I got through Catholic school my entire life. Uh, so I don't forget. Uh, two of our. Uh, uh, out LGBT sheriff deputies here in Los Angeles County. Welcome back, guys. Thanks. So, um, I, I guess, um, I, you know, I, I think uh, the whole notion of uh, LGBT sheriff deputies uh, was un imaginable 20, 30 years ago. And now it's just, it's here. And I guess, uh, uh, Austin, I guess I want to ask, have you uh, ever been placed in a position where you've had to uh, um, overpower a, a suspect or a defendant or somebody in the jail or and and uh, did that occur or did you ever have to get back up from other deputies and feel you were supported or there's a, I mean there's obviously being a sheriff's deputy you get into some force incidents um, you try to de-escalate as much as possible but sometimes some people just don't want to don't want to submit um, right. so there's been some instances and I've always shown up for my partners and I've always I have never had a problem where I felt like someone didn't show up for me so. That's great. I know we had an out member of the FBI once. It was a transgendered FBI agent came on the show, and she was talking about feeling that her uh, fellow agents were not supportive, didn't back her up at the moment when she needed it. But I'm glad to hear maybe that's a cultural thing within the sheriff's department. I, yeah. A little bit cultural, a little generational, too. Oh, that could I be, I think too. the younger generation, which a lot of her newer 
officers who are in the streets are the millennial younger generation. And there's no question when we do training in academy classes, they are so far more accepting yeah. than the generations that you and I grew <laughs> we <up>. came from. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> we came from. It's so true. It's a different day. But when it comes down to physical, having someone possibly get hurt, you have to put everything aside. Yeah. Everything. Whether yeah. you like them, you don't like them. We're all on the same team. And we have to take care of business so that everybody goes home safe. Hmm. That's number one. Absolutely. Let me, you, do, you know, I, when, by the way, when I walked into the reception area to greet you, uh, I didn't even think for a second. I mean, you are present completely as a, a man Thank to you. me. Thank and you. And so, uh, but do you ever get a feeling of people kind of looking you up and down trying to figure out something different about you or has that mostly I find like it mostly happens with um, I work with inmates now so most of the time it happens when um, I might use uh, I work with a transgender inmate and I use the proper pronoun or um, there's a gay inmate and I I say something that they would understand but they would never think would come out of a deputy's mouth and all of a sudden it's kind of like wait a minute Wait a minute. I thought something You know about the you, vocabulary. I, I think something different going on there, kind of <laughs> right. a thing. So, exactly. um, but I think that's where it happens is a conversation and being educated, using proper pronouns, um, and just seeing past just what is right there in front of you and seeing that there's a real person inside there, there's a real soul inside there. Yeah. So, so I know for uh, gay men and lesbians and, and bisexuals that there's a, there's a feeling when you're a child being prepubescent of being different and not being able to explain it to yourself, much less anybody else. Did you have feelings like that, Austin, when you were a kid? I've always felt extremely, extremely different. And um, growing up, and I never, I was always a, a tomboy. And then all of a sudden you get to college and it's not okay to be a tomboy anymore. And I just decided, well, I must be a lesbian because I like women. So, okay, that, that makes sense. And then after a while with that, I, I realized, yeah, I, it's, it's more, this masculine side of me is more than ever. And it's not leaving and it's not changing. And uh, I started to uh, investigate and look further into that and realized, oh, this is, this is what's happening with me and I'm not alone. Mm. So, mm. I think that uh, FTM uh, uh, transgender people are uh, a little less visible than M to F, MTF, and and I'm not sure why that is exactly, but uh, I just I mean because I now I know you, but I've known Chaz Bono for a very long time, and but I, I think uh, the the male to female trans people, at least that I've known, tend to really how do I say this over glamorize on the makeup and the hair right. and and most of the female to male transgender it seems more like a, there's a blending in that, think, that occurs I think we have it easier honestly mm. um, I, I think just just the way the hormones work for us it's a lot easier for us there's short men all over the place right. but there's it's hard when you're a tall man and you're becoming a woman Right. Or you have facial hair and you have to go through all the the painful things with your your um, Adam's apple and mm-hmm. your and your um, hair on your face and it's it's harder for them I, I believe and for us it's just we blend in after a while and um, it's easier to live stealth. Hmm. It's easier for no one to know. But I think I'd be doing a disservice to my community if I just fell into the background and just kind of fell off the face of the earth because right. there's a lot of people out there that don't pass as well. Mm. It doesn't make them any less, you know, valid. So 
Do you guys have a role in going out to other police agencies and doing education work or creating new policies in other places? Um, we actually just finished doing training, for the two of us, for Tustin Police Department. Tustin? Yes. Orange County, Orange California? County, of all places. I just never know what's happening in Orange you, County you anymore. <laughs> well, they're, they're, we had, were doing some training last summer for chiefs of police across California, and the chief of Tustin sat in on one of our trainings and came back and said, I want you to come back to my city and do it for every single person in my department. That's so amazing. we ended up doing a total of five sessions, I think, with Tustin PD, so we could hit all their civilians and their police officers. And what was the reception like? Were they welcoming, or was there some people there, arms crossed, like, I'm here because they're making me sit here? There's always a couple of those in law enforcement, no question, but the percentage of those is dramatically dropped. And in old days past, they would say things. Yeah. Nowadays, no. It's not acceptable. The, it's not acceptable. They'll get disciplined. And, and they're, they are the minority. Um, we had really good sessions, even with Tustin. I mean, lots of feedback, lots of questions, lots of, hey, my cousin's gay, and I've always wanted to ask this. Mm-hmm. Or my sister's a lesbian, and and I, I just, I've never always been afraid to tell anybody. And people just opened up all over the, every single one of our sessions through the whole department. It turned into a great, great mm-hmm. training with them. So, Austin, if there's a trans man or a trans woman out there listening today who has thought secretly, I'd love to be member of law enforcement what advice or counsel would you give to them um, i would just say to be open and honest about themselves and there's a place for them here at la county sheriffs if that's what they would choose to do it's a great department there's lots of options um and they have the backing of the policy which is across the country the best one i've seen so far so and is there are there physical i mean i i should know this but i don't physical requirements for somebody to be a deputy age requirements physicality or the age requirements are gone now oh they're Um, gone yeah those have been gone for quite a few years as long as you can meet all the physical standards there are a lot of physical requirements as with every police department in the country that you've got to be able to run a certain speed and jump six foot fences and there's a lot of physical testing and medical testing to make sure you don't have any you are kidding about the six foot fence right you're not kidding I'm not kidding. Oh my God. No, that, that is part Maybe of Maybe with a chair, I could get over. <laughs> I, millennial, could you get over a six-foot fence? I could never. I was going to say. <laughs> but That's we, impressive. So you can jump over a six-foot fence? Well, that was a long time ago when I was in the academy. <laughs> I'm on the back end of my career. So, thank, thank goodness we don't have to do that. Uh, <laughs> that is wild. Ongoing. But other than that, we welcome everyone to apply without question, and we encourage people to be honest and open, uh, whether they're gay, transgender, um, or straight even. <laughs> be honest about it, um, because they're, you're going to be a better quality officer, better quality deputy, if you're upfront, honest, and comfortable with yourself. Trying to hold these secrets adds an incredible amount of stress to your life, yeah. and that affects your performance yeah. without question. You know, I, I hate to insert politics with law enforcement uh, uh, deputies, but uh, Austin, in the last minute we've got remaining, when you hear Donald Trump or the Trump administration uh, go after trans members of our military, I mean, what does it make you think? It's upsetting for me. I've seen a couple of videos of um, some officers um, in, in the Army, and it's it's devastating to me to see them struggle as much as they do. And um just going out there and doing that that job and representing our country and trying to defend and support and you're going to tell a group of people that they're not worthy it's um it's very upsetting um mm. but it'll change 
in time. Change. I agree with it you. It will change. Yes. All right, Deputy Guastali, did I get it? Very good. I got it. It's the end of the show. Yes. Very good. yes. <laughs> Lieutenant Mueller. Yeah. Ding, 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 ding. Yes. <laughs> I finally got it. Thank you both for coming on. Thank it's you been for having time Thanks for having us. Yeah, it's been awesome, gang. When we come back, we'll have concluding remarks here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q. As we turn the corner into the new year, a lot of people are looking to get healthier. That includes Hero Bread, who have just launched their new recipe using heart-healthy olive oil. Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. All with no compromise on the taste, texture, and bready goodness you expect from your favorites. Now they're listening to their fans and updating their recipe with olive oil, an antioxidant-rich oil that's been shown to reduce cholesterol and minimize the risk of heart disease. Try it today with code HERO10 for 10% off your purchase at HERO.CO. That's code H-E-R-O-10 for 10% off at Hero.co. Hey, gang. Oh, what an incredible day. Thank you all for tuning in. We, I mean, Reverend Troy Perry, he is a godsend, literally almost 80 years old, founder of the MCC Churches, and to hear his battle uh, with suicide when he thought uh, that he was abandoned by his God and church to go on and create the very first gay church in the nation uh, with now over 200 congregations in 33 countries is just a miracle and amazing and so good to hear from him and his life story to the incredible bisexual Margaret Cho uh, and her humor and uh, you know Jason was standing by with the dump button for any four letter word and she didn't do one Jay she was really tame <laughs> she was really hey. tame I thought I'd drop an F-bomb just to see if you were paying attention but uh, <laughs> apparently it wasn't necessary <laughs> she was great and hearing her life story and her own battle with everything from food to weight to alcoholism and drug addiction and recovery and uh, you know racism and, and how she creates her comedy and then ending up with Austin Guavastali look Jason I got you his got last it. name finally yep. <laughs> one of our transgender deputies of the Los Angeles County Sheriff's and Lieutenant Don Mueller who was the first one of the first sheriffs to come out of the closet and to hear about all the reforms going on in law enforcement it's uh it's truly a great day. So I'm so glad we put this show together for Pride. Wanted to have a little B and a little T in there to make sure that we round out the L and the G on this show. And glad that we did that today. So next week... I will be in Miami uh, next Friday. We will be broadcasting from our sister station in Miami. Uh, I'm there for the National Association of Latino Elected Officials. I serve as their national chairman, their first out gay chairman. And uh, we'll be with uh, hundreds and hundreds of Latino elected officials from all over the U.S. of A. And I'm, I'm still putting my guest list together. Uh, I, I know already that I've got uh, the California's uh, statewide uh, gay elected. The insurance commissioner, Ricardo La has agreed to come by. He is incredibly funny and hysterical, and we're going to try to convince uh, our state representative, Daniel Hernandez, from Arizona to join us, who is also one of the funniest. Thank God, LGBT people. We've got our senses of humor. I mean, we've had to use humor as a defense, so I'm going to try to get them together, and it'll just be three gay caballeros having a gay old time here on the sidebar. So tune in next Friday. We'll be broadcasting from Miami, and I hope you all have a great weekend. Happy 
Pride Month. Let's continue celebrating Pride all month. And we'll see you all next week here on Sidebar with John Duran on Channel Q.